What makes you worry? What is it today that makes you nervous or causes you to fret? Some of us today could be stewing because someone has wronged us or they said something hurtful about us. Some of us might be worrying about our health or we're concerned about the health of another. Others may be anxious about the future and what lies ahead. And the anxiety of the unknown as we're trying to schedule things. I can certainly relate to that one. But though we love and we care about God, our lives sometimes don't seem to be any easier because of our faith. In fact, sometimes we fret because the person down the road who doesn't care a bit about God seems to be succeeding even though they make evil choices with their lives. And meanwhile, the godly person who cares about God seems to be struggling. But whoever we are in whatever place of life we're at, there are things that can cause us to worry or to fret. And this anxiety can threaten our faith and our trust in God. George Muller once said, The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Well, Psalm 37 speaks to us in our worry or in our struggle today. It encourages us to begin again in our faith and to trust in the Lord. And so let's go ahead and read that together. Uh, Let's look at Psalm 37, verses 1 through 9. It says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways and when they carry out their wicked schemes. Well, later on in verse 25, we see that Psalm 37 is written by an older man, likely David, since the psalm says, of David. But he's an older man now when this is written. And he's lived long enough to see wicked eventually, or or the wicked, eventually fade away, and the righteous remain secure. And David here encourages a long-term approach to life. He knows the prosperity of the wicked is temporary, and the man who trusts in the Lord will prosper in God's timing. The word trust in this passage means to have security. David has had security in God for his judgment and his salvation throughout his life, and he's encouraging you and I to do the same. So how do we do that? How do we trust in the Lord? Not just say that we trust the Lord or act like it, but how do we really trust the Lord? Well, our passage today suggests three ways that we can learn to trust in the Lord. And I believe the first is found in verse 4, which says, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. How do we trust in the Lord? Well, first of all, delight in Him. The Hebrew word used for delight here means enjoyment. Uh, You could almost say, enjoy yourself in the Lord. 
And this matches a phrase in the Westminster Confession, which says, the chief end of man is to glorify the Lord and enjoy him forever. So we're encouraged by the psalmist to enjoy ourselves in the Lord. And I have to confess to you today that this is an area I need to grow in. Um, I'm usually a fairly serious guy. And in, in, in being that, I forget to enjoy and find my joy in the Lord. I think we often forget to enjoy the Lord. Uh, I mean, when's the last time that you heard a message or you had a quiet time and you said, I really enjoyed the Lord today. God wants an intimate, personal relationship with us, one in which we can be incredibly serious, but also find incredible enjoyment. And this is why the psalmist says, take delight in the Lord. He doesn't say, take delight in learning things about the Lord. He uses the word in because the act of delighting oneself in God is very personal and intimate. And so all of our religious habits, our duties, our activities, they will never and and they should never replace the one-on-one relationship that a believer can have in God through Jesus Christ. And true delight is diving headfirst into a dynamic and a passionate experience with the God of the universe. And so when we delight in God, when we enjoy the relationship with him, we show that we trust him enough to spend time with him and to seek out his plan for our lives. Often uh, we, we can think that totally devoting ourselves to God will mean giving up enjoyable things or perhaps living a boring life. But I don't see any of those ideas coming from the Bible, fortunately. The psalmist says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This doesn't mean that our selfish desires will be granted, though God promises his provision for us, but it does mean that as we delight in the Lord, he will change us and the desires of our heart to match his own. And Jesus confirms this to us in John 15, 7, when he promises, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In contrast to this, the world tries to tell us and our young people that trusting God totally with our lives will mean doing things that we don't really desire or want to do. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan once told a story about a believing woman who was struggling with giving her life fully to Jesus. And uh, this woman said to Morgan, I know I'll have to do all the things I most dislike, but I'm determined to be a real Christian. A year later, Morgan was visiting in uh, this woman's town and spoke with her again. And she said, do you recall what I said to you when I dedicated my life to Christ? And Morgan assured her that he did. And then she said, but it's been so different, Dr. Morgan. I began to follow Christ, feeling that I would have to do all the things that were contrary to my desires. But now I do what I want every day because God has made me pleased with the things that please him. Isn't that refreshing? If we're to trust the Lord fully, then we must fully immerse ourselves in relationship with him and enjoy his presence. And if we will do this, the Lord says, he will give us the desires of our heart. 
The key is that our hearts are so in tune with his that they share the same desires. And those desires are exciting to us. They're not drudgery. And so to truly trust the Lord, we must first put our worries aside and delight ourselves in him. The second thing the psalmist asks us to do to trust in him is in verse 5, which says, Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, delight in him, and then commit to him. This concept of trust is illustrated by the true story of a man named Charles Blondine. Blondine was a famous tightrope walker, famous for his incredible balance and courage. And so just listen to part of Blondine's story. Charles Blondine, he was one of the greatest tightrope walkers in the history of the world. And one of his greatest feats was walking the the Niagara Falls on a tightrope, 11,000 feet long, 160 feet above the water. This he accomplished a number of times and, and always with different theatric variations. Blindfolded, in a sack, pushing a wheelbarrow, on stilts, carrying a man on his back, and sitting down one time midway while he made and ate an omelet. And one day after he had pushed a wheelbarrow across the, the Niagara Falls and come back on that tightrope, he asked a question. How many of you believe that I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and push him across the tightrope? And everybody cheered and yelled and screamed and everybody believed. And then he asked for a volunteer. And the crowd grew very, very quiet until one man stepped out of the crowd and got in the wheelbarrow. There's a difference between the crowd and the man in the wheelbarrow. In regards to God, where are you? In the crowd? Say, oh, I believe there's a God. I believe Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. I believe there's a new world coming. Are you in the wheelbarrow? Blondine had shown that to really believe in someone takes a wholehearted commitment. The idea of commit in verse 5 means doing the same thing. To commit your way to the Lord means absolute surrender to place ourselves on his shoulders or in his hands, to bring everything that we are and everything we've ever done and everything that has been done to us and to lay it all before God. And if you will do this with your life, the passage continues, he will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Commenting on this thought, Martin Luther says that when we come to Christ, we're married to him by faith. Like the bride, we give all that we have, namely our sin, and he gives us all that he has, namely all of his righteousness. Though this arrangement seems irresistible, it's a great deal for us, we still somehow manage to resist wanting to hold on to some type of control or something to keep or to call our own. 
We cling to our lives often, though we know they're not ours to keep. When we worry about our lives, and when we fret over our circumstances, aren't we telling God that we don't trust Him? We don't trust His present arrangements or His future ideas? In response to this, Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, gives some excellent advice. He says, Let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all, right into God's hand. And then, when we have given all over to Him, there's nothing left for us to be troubled about. Verse 5 agrees by saying, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. And so today, is there something that you need to commit to the Lord? And if so, I want to encourage you, give it to Him. Let it go. And keep letting it go. This is often a process, not a one-time thing, but we keep coming to the Lord, bringing all that we have, and we keep giving it to Him, and He will take it. A third way to learn how to trust Him is found in verse 7, which says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. So, to trust God more also means to be still. Be still before Him. Other translations of this verse say, To rest in the Lord, or literally, Be silent and wait for Him to act. Now, This is not an easy attitude for us to have, especially if we have a problem or a difficulty that we want an answer to. So let me just ask you, if you have a problem or a difficulty, what do you do? What do you do? Are you silent and still before God, waiting for Him to act? Most of us get busy. We look for a solution or a way that we can control the situation in our favor. We seek out people who can give us solutions. Doctors, lawyers, pastors, counselors, anybody, right? And if we still can't find a favorable solution, we often get angry. We throw up our hands to God and we say, I don't know what to do about this. The Hebrew for be still means to let your hands hang down. It's a position that shows a quiet dependence and a peace before God. And in Psalm 37, God tells us, Don't get angry. Don't fret. Quiet your heart before me. Wait upon me. Place your hope in me. And you will inherit the land. In my time, you will prosper, God says. But as for right now, be quiet. Commit your way to me. Trust in me. Delight in me. And in his time, Scripture says, he will lift you up. This is tough. It's very tough. Um, But our attitude is to be one of patience, even in troubling times. God has not forgotten us. And he will not forget to show up. So we've seen three ways that we can grow to trust God more. We can trust him more by delighting ourselves in him enjoying who He is, by committing our ways to Him, and by being still or quiet before Him. And you know, 
This is really beginning to sound a lot like a healthy marriage relationship, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it, healthy couples, they enjoy each other, they delight in each other, they're committed to each other, and healthy couples have developed the ability to be quiet and listen to each other. It's a great relationship. But why would we want to do that with God? I mean, we're, we're busy people. We've got enough to do. Well, let's look at the psalm here from the perspective of results for your life. Okay? First of all, let, let's say you decide you don't want to trust the Lord fully. You're too busy to delight yourself in Him, to commit your ways to Him, or to be still before Him. What will be the results for your life? Let's look at the passage. Verse 1 says, you'll be fretting. You'll be envious of those who do wrong. Verse 2 says, if you go your own way, you will soon wither and die away like a green plant. Verse 7 says again, you'll be fretting. And verse 8 indicates that you'll be angry and you'll want to vent your wrath. And verse 9 says that if you don't care about God, you'll be cut off from Him. Now, I don't think any of us want those kinds of results for our lives. So what if we do fully trust the Lord? If we delight in Him, if we commit our ways to Him, if we're still before Him, what are the results? It's in the passage. Verse 3 says, we will enjoy safe pasture. Verse 4 says, He will give us the desires of our heart. Verse 6 says, He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. And verse 9 says that those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. So, This prosperity from the Lord is something that can take place here on earth at times, but we are certainly promised an incredible prosperity in the life that is yet to come. Either way, we know that these things will happen if we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. These are great promises. Though things may look bleak here and now, the future looks brighter than the noonday sun. I'm going to close with the story of a, a farmer in Nebraska. And he had a strong dislike for religious things or religious people. And as he plowed his field one Sunday morning, he would shake his fist at the church people who passed by on the way to worship. October came and the farmer had his finest crop ever, the best in the entire county. So when the harvest was complete, He placed an advertisement in the local paper which belittled the Christians for their faith in God. And near the end of his ad, he wrote, Faith in God must not mean much if someone like me can prosper. The response from the Christians in the community was quiet and polite. In the next edition of the town paper, a small ad appeared. It read simply, God doesn't always settle his accounts in October. You see, to God, one day is like a thousand years, Scripture says. We may think his timing is incredibly slow or questionable in our own lives, but he always shows up right on time. If we trust in the Lord, then he will remember his promises and keep them. And to trust him fully, the psalmist encourages us to delight in him, to commit to him, and to be still before him.